0: Welcome to The Elusive Consumer. Today, Ellie is speaking with Megan Reynolds, Vice President of Marketing at Aura, a leader in wearable technology. Join us as Megan shares her insights on data-driven strategies, the impact of wearable technology on the health and wellness industry, and the importance of authenticity in marketing. Let's get started right now on The Elusive Consumer.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining today, and I understand that you must be incredibly busy working for a company like Aura, must have a lot to do with your time, so we appreciate it. Welcome to the Elusive Consumer. We're just trying to understand a little bit more about you and your professional and personal journey and what led you to what you do today. And I would love to hear a little bit more about what data and insights means to you in your day-to-day work. So let's start with talking a little bit about Megan and what your professional career has looked like that brought you to Aura. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for um, having me. This is going to be fun.
0: So my, I've spent probably about 18, 20 years in the marketing field. I always say there's like two times at which I sort of fell into it. So, one was. When I first started, um, it was after 9-11. I thought I was going to move to New York, get a, you know, high-powered job and really start my career. And um, 9-11, unfortunately, put a damper on a lot of things. Um, One was my job search. And so I ended up um, working for a smaller company uh, startup back in the day with Palm Pilots. Pretty funny. So it was tech, but a very different tech, Um, and got a really good broad understanding of how to take a product to market and what it means to work with a bigger uh, product like Palm at the time, they were they were a big brand. Worked through PR, marketing comms, a little bit of advertising, how to work with customer service. What do we tell people once we've launched this thing? How do we solve customer problems? From there, um, worked at a bunch of smaller companies, went to grad school. For a brief period, really thought I was going to go into the public sector. Uh, very interested in foreign service, and just how business operates globally, not just in our own country. Realized I'm not a public sector person. I am a private sector person. I, I like um, I'm action oriented. Probably why I lasted at Amazon so long. And then I I say sort of where I ended up now, I I fell into it again, sort of good occurrence. I was laid off um, in the recession of 2009. So I always tell people, don't, a layoff is not the end of the world, right? Mm -hmm. Like good things come out of it. So I was laid off and had to just take a break from interviewing. It was only, I was in, I was doing pharmaceutical healthcare advertising at the time and did not like it. It was not something that. I didn't, you know, didn't wake me up every, every morning. I was kind of, do oh, so I have to do this? And so I took a break and I went and worked at Lululemon, worked in a store, just decided to clear my brain, refocus and start and then give it a couple months. Ended up loving it, became a manager, opened up stores and was able to start working with them in corporate, um, with the New York stores in corporate, advertising the on or the, the in-store yoga online. So Facebook had identified Lululemon back in the day as a good brand, a unique brand to test into some of their early offerings like um, event pages and things like that. And so we got to experiment and run betas with Facebook about how do we take this amazing local grassroots marketing that we had and put it on digital. And that sparked my, I was like, this is fascinating. Look at how many more people we can get. Look at, like, I know when they clicked on the page, they can raise their hand and say, I want to join. And then we have an idea of how many people actually come in. So I, that resonated with me. And then that's what started, started doing more with Lululemon. I went on to another small company called Ragnar Relay, launched all of their digital and social. And then from there, I got to work at Adidas. And that was that was great. That was so fun. That is a brand that has a good amount of money, has a good amount of risk tolerance, and they want to explore. And they were pushing the boundaries back in 2013, 2014, of social and video. And how do we, how do we get our shoes into, how do we get the eyeballs of the right people?
1: Mm. From
0: there, I got the job at Amazon. Um, and that uh, also changed how I approach digital and media worked at Amazon for about six and a half years, two different stints, and now I'm at Aura after a few small hops with some smaller companies, and loving Aura I'm able to do. I run all of their media and
1: acquisition, uh, and we're looking into international growth next. Wow, that's great. I love how each of those roles shaped who you are as a professional today. And some of the key things that you mentioned that got my attention, getting the eyeballs of the right people. How do you do that in today's world in any kind of role? I wish I had like the magic
0: potion, you know, like the magic (laughs) ball for it. It's actually one of those things that's oddly fun. You get to kind of figure out. This is why I love being in media and and the digital world because it changes. So you know, a year year and a half ago, everything on and we'll just take Meta as a platform. Everything was interest based. You could go and target the female who worked at who worked out at SoulCycle, right? Who wore aloe pants. Like you you could do all of that and be very very targeted and really understand what your dollars were doing. And then I want to say about six, eight months ago, Meta was like, no, 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 no just go broad. Just go broad, pick an objective. We'll find the right people for you. Trust us. Right. And so you, you have to play that game of saying, and we did, we tested both. And it ended up that broad targeting did get us, you know, cheaper CPMs, the higher conversion rates. But now we're still playing into... Well, let's do broad. And then how do we still have that interest group, right? How are we still making sure our messages are hitting the right people? So we look at it as a bit of balance of both when it comes to digital platforms of like going broad, testing into messaging and letting the message find the right customer, as well as being very targeted, right? Of, okay, this this is much more of a female marketing message and then how are we shaping that? What else do we know about her um, that we can apply to the ad? It's our targeting.
1: Right. No, that makes sense. In terms of going broad, how do you handle that in a market like the U.S. Take where going broad could also risk losing out on the diversity aspect, right, in terms of different ethnicities, different age groups, all that sort of stuff? How, how do you handle that at Aura? So
0: that... Because of the price point of our product, it is, Mm -hmm. so it's broad with some interest targeting or some Mm -hmm. targeting. So Mm -hmm. it is specific age ranges. If we can do household income, so um, on TV, for example, I can buy according to household income. We do tend to buy at a certain household level and above, Mm -hmm. not below. We've seen that conversion rates are much lower below. So I would say it's broad within... um, With some targeting, but it's not how it used to be, where you would go very deep into, even across like OTT and TV, you would be looking at like, again, that female who's watching this type of show, you know, and these were the day parts because we know that's when she's, she's watching. Now it's, let's span, you know, across all day parts on TV, for example, across multiple genders, ages on Facebook and see what's hitting.
1: Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. In terms of Aura, let's talk a little bit about the product and the company vision and mission. Could you talk us through that and what differentiates Aura from other wearable devices?
0: Yeah. So Aura's mission is to to make health uh, accessible to everyone. We believe that this is something that everyone should have access to and be able to understand and use to make better decisions about their health, right? so we look at sleep as a huge unlock. Um, so if you can get, you know, I, I'm using quotes here, like the right amount of sleep for you, the right REM, the right deep sleep, that tends to help unlock a lot of other things in your life, right? Probably is easier to manage stress, right? You're probably going to be a little bit nicer to your coworkers and your kids, um, right? Right? Like you're, you're much more able to handle things. You probably don't get sick as much because you're allowing your body to rest. So we look at that, I would say our vision is to, you know, get this in as many hands as possible on as many fingers as possible. I should I should say.
1: Right. So company has been around for is it seven, eight years now? It'll be ten. Right. And I think I read somewhere where you might have mentioned that it's still as acting as a startup. Is that right? In a sense, yeah. I mean, it's a a
0: hardware-based company. Um, So funding is, right, like it costs a lot of money to fund the product. We have amazing scientists um, running the research behind everything that can be budget money intensive.
1: Right, right. And how, for you in a marketing or growth marketing role, how does that impact your work coming from a background at an organization like Amazon to Aura. what, How do you approach your work differently? And what do you find yourself doing at Aura that is perhaps actually more innovative in terms of your work style than it would have been at a larger organization? Yeah.
0: I think one of the biggest things I have to do is slow down. Right. in Amazon, you get very used to, uh, one of the leadership principles is called bias for action. And you're almost... You're really judged on, like, not how fast can you get things done, but, like, how easily, how adaptable can you be and and pick up more projects and figure out how to how to scale. So at Aura, I found that I've had to, and and I would say this with the other, the couple other startups that I've worked for recently, mm-hmm. is slow down, ask a lot more questions. Make sure, like, people have really good ideas. You know, at Amazon, through the doc writing culture, you become... It's like you're you get really good at ensuring you have ticked off every if risk concern that right. you know you have an answer for. You know, you know all the pros, you know all the cons. You've you've looked at this a million different ways. Mm-hmm. And I find that that type of rigorous I guess behavior around like product launches and campaigns isn't as much of a practice elsewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. So I've had to
0: slow down, ask a lot more questions. And honestly helps steer a little bit, you know, of like making sure, is this the right objective? If this is the objective, okay, what's then the goal? What KPI are we actually taking away? How will we know if this worked? Like, what do you really want to get out of this campaign? So it's probably a little bit more coaching that I've had to do here as well. Did I answer your question? No, you did. You
1: did. Um, I'm trying to understand if the sort of data-driven approach that you would have been used to at Amazon is something that you've carried with you through to your position at Aura. And if that's something that startup would also emphasize to collect that data, whether it's customer data or user data in, in every different ways to better shape products for the future. Gotcha. Yeah. So I that definitely, once
0: you've in, and you're have ingrained with that, uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't leave. So I'm, I'm lucky enough, we've got some really great teammates who work on the data science side, and then who work on the consumer insight side. And Mm -hmm. so there is that rigorous data collection and understanding from a like, will this product work? Will this feature work? Um, And then from a consumer insights, it's okay, is this message resonating with the consumer right before we go do a full on campaign? And then I am working through, I think where we still have some room to grow. And I see this at a lot of places is okay, We've done the work, We consumers are saying in a focus group, yay, nay, mm-hmm. we bring it into a campaign. And then I'm like, okay, now how are we tracking that this worked, right? And one of the biggest things is people love to say, like one of the biggest objectives you'll see, or number one objective in a campaign is drive awareness. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's huge, like how do you do that, right? It's helping educate people the amount of money that's needed to break through, you know, right. what that really means. What, you know, I, I always uh, throw these out in the middle of different meetings that we have. I'm like, how much do you think an NFL spot costs? How much do you think mm-hmm. it costs to be a bachelor? You know, like <laughs> these are, this is not, you know, your couple thousand dollar ads that you see on Meta. But I think a lot of where the work that needs to be done to really drive home a measurement approach at a company is mm-hmm. really connecting a KPI back to your objective and not just saying things like, I want to grow brand awareness. Right. It's like, OK, is that in terms of traffic, right? Mm-hmm. Traffic in a certain demographic. Is that like, are we going to do a brand lift study? So it's helping get the the rest of the team to understand that and to think that way. Whereas um, at Amazon, it was just very much ingrained.
1: Right, right. And in terms of some of the research or data that you've gathered through your time at Aura, Has there been any findings that have surprised you or anything where you thought you're going to take a product in a certain direction or or a marketing in a certain direction and then suddenly you found actually this isn't going to work at all? Our users aren't, you know, reacting well to this or has that happened to you? Um,
0: No, because what's interesting is Aura, it's one of these things that when people see the app right? Because mm-hmm. there's the ring and mm-hmm. people kind of go, what does this thing do? Like that doesn't right. look like it's just, you know, it's not like your eye, your eye watch or anything. Right. But when you start to see the app and mm-hmm. you hear word of mouth, what this has done and how people talk about like, oh my God, I had a 90 sleep score. People are like, what's a 90 sleep score? Oh, that means I had 25% REM. Like, And they can get into it. And then people are like, wait a minute, you you can unlock all of that data. So what, what I found is actually quite the opposite. It's like all of our messaging there, it's hitting really well mm-hmm. because it's sort of, it's being packaged in a new way,
1: right? Mm. This is not
0: just your, how many steps did you take? You know, mm-hmm. it's the same old thing We're we're really putting sleep as the main focus. I think it also helps that we're in a really good climate or we're in a climate, I, I shouldn't say good. We're in a climate in which mental health and wellness and recovery are much more right. the main talking points as opposed to probably you know the 80s 90s and early 2000s it was like right. go 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 perform you know like as many spin classes as possible sweat as much as possible right um, so we're we're riding that wave of, of like consumer behavior definitely shifting right but the me- it it's kind of shocking to me the messaging that is resonating i guess in that light the one message that probably has not resonated as much is the like you can track your steps and calories Mm. right like clearly a product where people are prioritizing health and well-being and activity is just a piece of it and so that's not the message that's not the thing that's getting them to buy right it's really the sleep and the accuracy data
1: Right, so the data itself, I guess, it's user friendly enough for people to not only read their results and metrics, but also understand them and take actions to improve them. Yes, yes, I I call
0: it. So um, the product was developed in Finland, mm-hmm. and so like this is probably just me saying this. I feel like it's like the IKEA of apps. <laughs> I love that. Meaning, <laughs> Right. Like it's very clear where you click, you understand, you know, like Mac, Mac's back in the day. It was like, that's the idea. It was like, you just move. Of course, this is where you move things. This is how you intuitively, you know, would use something like a screen. So I think we've done a really nice job of breaking down the information. I mean, we definitely have some ways to go to make sure that some of the data is, is cleaner and easier to understand. Because it can get really complicated, right, with your heart rate variability and then your temperature and different why your temperature would spike and not spike. Mm-hmm. So I it, it's pretty clean and, and easy. And I think people, it also, having a score is something to, it's a marker of time, right? Like, okay, I had an 80 yesterday, now I'm at an 85. Okay, what changed?
1: Right. And, you know, wearable devices have been around for many years, but getting people to continuously use them and something that I've read about, or I, I, it seems like people tend to wear it more often than they would wear, say a watch. And I'm wondering if that's something that then leads them to actually continue to improve on their health journey as they see the patterns.
0: Yep. So, you, well, you bring up two, two good points that mm-hmm. um, I think do lead to people having sort of being able to catch being sick or potentially more serious diseases is that it is fairly easy to wear. So, it, it, mm. I mean, if you're not used to wearing rings, that is one thing. But we give you a sizing kit and we ask you to wear that sizing kit for a few days so mm-hmm. that you can see how um, how the ring fits as your fingers swell throughout the day and night. So it doesn't move as much as a watch. That's the big thing. So the watch tends to shift. They're kind of bulky. And then the next thing is people don't like to sleep with a watch on. And the batteries die faster. So by having the ring on at night, that's obviously when you're getting your sleep data. But that's when you can get a lot cleaner data in terms of how your heart rate is, like what your heart rate is doing, your breathing, and your temperature. And so by having like, you know, potentially six to eight hours of very little movement in the same spot, we get very accurate data.
1: Understood. Okay. And in terms of that data, um, you know, with the focus on data privacy and security, how do you balance that, the need to collect large amount of data for research purposes, for improving products with the responsibility to protect user data?
0: We, we take it very seriously. Everything has to go through our privacy team and everything that's in the app because there are no ads on the app. Mm-hmm. Nothing is sold and everything is um, hidden in terms of user IDs and hashtag uh, hashes.
1: Right. Okay. And how do you see the developments of um, different algorithms and innovations that your team is building on at Aura, contributing to the broader landscape of health and wellness. And what other potentials do you see for the wearable technology? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I
0: personally love having a um, more lightweight, less screen focused Mm. wearable. There's so much, everything is a screen these days, right? right? It's so nice just to be able to go and not, I mean, because I'm a, I wear a Garmin constantly, right? And I'm, I'm still right. slightly it of like how fast am I running and how many hours have I worked out like this month. And so I think there's something really nice about slowing down and having more of that, you know, the Scandinavian outlook mm-hmm. of like right. Finland's always voted the most happy, the happiest country, right? Right, and they probably have a lot less screens. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping Aura can contribute to that and that wearables have a like, go towards that so that mm-hmm. it's more holistic as opposed to these very intense moments in our life where it's, you know, running as fast as you can, getting, burning the most calories.
1: Right, right. I, I like that, the slowing down and going out into nature. I actually grew up in Sweden and we had a lot of that. Yeah, it's all about heading out into nature and enjoying, well, keeping a healthy lifestyle. And, not constantly be looking at a screen like you mentioned. Yeah.
0: Like I, I'm so jealous. And when they talk about, it, they're like, yeah, we just did our, I think they call it a Nordic, is it a Nordic sauna where they go? Oh, and they yes. do, yeah. Well, sauna, and then they go through the, the lake plunge. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I would not recommend that personally, but many people enjoy it. Um, in terms of the consumer side of things then let's look at the users what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that is facing consumers in the health and wellness space today and how can technology in general help address those challenges yeah I
0: mean, so this is me like anecdotally mm-hmm. i think so it's two i think it's two things it's access to your data and then it's understanding what that means Right, so you'll go to the doctor and they'll run a scan, and they have this huge printout, and then they sort of run through it with a bunch of acronyms and crazy medical terms, and you're like, "Whoa, whoa, right? Like, okay, break that down for me, right?" And I kind of, I always think about it as like when you have a really good analyst, Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like your technical product manager. If he or she can translate the like crazy gobbledygook of like engineering and data and all and like development, mm-hmm. like that's what we need doctors to do more of, right? I need that like draw the draw the so what out for me in in a way that like I can do something with it, right? And and I think I'm hoping with more things like Aura um, and you know there's other rings coming out, and I'm sure Apple and Google they're working on a whole other. slew of features for us to understand, you know, how to have a better, be more, be healthier, that that's, that what it's doing is, is empowering the consumer to take better care of themselves and to go seek out the the specific things that they might need, as opposed to always waiting for something to happen. And then a doctor having to describe it, right? But it's a little bit, yeah, so it's kind of both, right? It's like giving the data to the, the information to the consumer but then I'm really hoping this also helps the doctors and the medical professionals explain it a little bit more easily and like in a more human layperson fashion.
1: Right. You you brought up a good point there in terms of the healthcare professional. Because as we move away from that sort of reactive healthcare towards a proactive, how do you think the healthcare professional will they be open? Will they be accepting of these types of devices? Do you think do you think that they'll feel like the data is valid for them to use? What are your thoughts around that?
0: Mm, that's a good question. I would hope the ones who are more open, I would hope they would adopt it and and also look at it with a critical eye too, right? Like ideally, they should be pushing the the wearable industry, the tech industry to do more, you know, peer-reviewed studies and make sure that what is that, and that's one of the things that I I would say Aura does really well, and I would assume mm-hmm. Apple and, and Google probably do this as well, but it takes years to develop some of these products because mm-hmm. of the rigorous testing and the amount of testing that they want to do in order to make sure, like, this is stat-sig and that it can be verified and then rolled out and actually have the same results when it's hundreds of thousands of people, right? Not hundreds of people. I would hope doctors would look at it as a way to help um, facilitate care, too, Mm -hmm. as opposed to always having to wait to say, like, if you had come to me six months earlier, you know, like maybe now some of this helps to provide those warning signals to users so that they can, consumers, so that they can go to the doctor and say something's off, right? Like my Mm -hmm. temperature keeps spiking or I'm not sleeping well. Hmm. And here's right. the data, right? And then, then something can be, hopefully it can be useful.
1: Right. And let's return to the marketing aspect for a bit. You mentioned through some of your previous experience that the world of the digital marketing opened up your eyes for uh, the insights that you were gathering. And I want to talk about the influencer marketing campaigns. What are your thoughts on those? And particularly... In a world where there's so many social media platforms targeting various different age groups, some of whom might be more vulnerable to media. What are your thoughts there?
0: It's very much a love-hate relationship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally recognize the power that they have. And I think if you align yourself with influencers who understand that power and hold it with responsibility that you can get really good marketing out of it that's authentic and it doesn't just feel like influencer a pushing the 100th product you know Mm -hmm. of the week Mm -hmm. and so I I do think it's it needs to be approached very thoughtfully and that's why I think some of it I I totally get the companies that have figured out like platforms to scale but I, I don't know if that's for certain products, it could be great, right? I don't know if it's the best product for something that is related to health,
1: mm.
0: right? Because it is very personal. Um, so you want to make sure that the person that you're contracting with to to speak on your on your company's behalf, right, really understands the product. We've we've had some really great experiences with influencers, and I think we know that in a couple different ways. One, their audience did respond really well. But two, they continuously talk about it, right? Even after being paid, like it, the it's over, it's done, their their contract is done, and they're still wearing it. They still talk about it on Instagram or TikTok, um, and it still comes up as something that they would recommend. So it's really nice to to see that. Okay, we we did pick the right one,
1: <laughs> right? And part of what you mentioned there goes back to the consistency and authenticity. How do you ensure that your brand is consistently represented across different marketing channels and campaigns? It can be hard. I kind of look at it differently
0: from an organic versus a paid perspective. So organic, if they're going out and they're trying to find as many, you know, let's just, again, use females, um, females who do yoga, who have like focus, who are focusing on sleep. And they're just asking them, you know, to create some content and it's being put on their channels. There's not as much you can do to force a brand message. Mm-hmm. If it's on paid, then I want them to be very specific so that the message is correct and it is on brand and that we're not saying anything that right would lead, so- like legally incorrect, for example. But I have to say it, it is hard and that's where I always have to bring in the creative team, um, right? I want to make sure that the the brief that either if it's my team, the media team writing it or the creative, like the, the the brand team, right? Is the brief getting for putting forward what we need, but then is it also resonating with the influencer, right? Because you can tell if they're just reading something. So it, it tends to take a little bit longer. It's not something that we, we don't really have one of those like influencer platforms where we just like hit a button and we light people up. It's a little bit more. Um, it's, It's personal briefings. It's getting people to understand the product. We want them to use it, Mm -hmm. right? We quickly say, use it for a month Mm -hmm. and you can speak authentically about it.
1: Right. And that word authenticity is something that is widely discussed lately within various different organizations, particularly in tech. Do you feel that this is something that is now becoming sort of one of those popular words that companies throw around? Or do you feel like there are organizations out there that are actually creating products with authenticity in mind or thinking of their end user? And and could you give examples of that through your professional career where you've seen that the data gathered or the research done is actually being used for good? Because we often talk about data being used for good. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that's a great point. I I'll say I think authenticity is being overused mm-hmm. in a marketing sense. I think when it's a pro- from a product perspective, from what I have seen, especially at Aura, that what is being developed, it's helping solve problems. Mm-hmm. This might not be a problem that thousands of people have have said, but it's pulling those insights out of either the customer service inquiries, your emails. Things you read online, like reading through social, it can be a wasteland of like just horrible comments. Right. You can find some really good gems that help infuse future product learning. So um, I don't have like a lot of specific ones, but I do know it at Amazon as they were developing new features for Alexa and like what she could do and the voice services, mm-hmm. a lot of it would come from social comments. Or emails that Amazon usually it went up through like a like a Jeff but it was talking about how Amazon helped un, or Alexa helped with something in their life right helped mm. with a child it helped with an elderly um, you know parent or grandparent and that would usually spurn okay well like how do we make that better right how could we roll that out so it's like a it's a key feature that people would know to ask Alexa for right? Like, Mm -hmm. that was always nice to see that, you know, because we would, it would pull through the brief. So when the brief came to the marketing team, we would know, hey, this is from a customer. Customer, you know, had requested this or said that this is how, like, Alexa has helped. So now we are wanting to let people know, hey, you can use her in this way.
1: Right. Okay. And in terms of changes in the market, whether it's due to unexpected changes In the world that happens with a pandemic or geopolitical changes how do you pivot your marketing strategy and are you currently thinking ahead considering what's happened in the world over the last few years in terms of your existing role to what might be next and how you can develop more future-proof marketing strategies
0: yeah oh good one so the, what's coming to mind right now is um, chat GPT. Right. Right. And like an AI. And, and what does that mean for marketers, mm-hmm. content creators, copywriters? And the way that I look at it is it's almost like, like the discovery phase. Like gather all the data. I've asked, like Candidly, I've asked my team. I was like, let's sign up for it. Like, and let's start... What do you get? Like, you you ask this question. I'll ask this question. Are we asked the same question? Like, how are we? What are the responses? What does it look like? And so we're playing around with it now. And that's typically what I like to do. I remember when Snapchat came out back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, what do we do with Snapchat? And this is what I loved about Adidas. They said, everyone go sign up for it and play around with it. And then come back in two weeks and let's like roundtable. What what do you like? What do you not like? What made sense, Right. Would mm-hmm. this work for our customers? So I think I think marketers need to utilize the tools and seek to understand and not make crazy decisions. I mean, there are there are those brands that just jump and you're kind of like, oh God, you, you made a good that was a good risk, right? Cause mm-hmm. it paid off if, you know, doing one of the first big Snapchat campaigns. But I, I tend to encourage my teams to explore research, figure it out. So that we can then answer questions, because you know it's always going to come up, right? I mean, it's already been asked, right? You know, the CEO, you know, this someone will say, "Why are we using this?" Right? Like, well, messaging bots with Facebook when that first came out, like the automatic messaging bots, right? Mm-hmm. I remember that one actually. Everyone was very scared about that we would <laughs> uh, just say the wrong thing and like really turn someone off at Amazon.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, so I think you, I think you have to be able to be nimble and adapt to it. But Mm -hmm. I personally tend to be someone who's probably a little bit slower to utilize it. I'm gonna, I I wanna understand, I wanna see some case studies. I wanna, what did did the brand down the street do?
1: (laughs) Right, right. You like to slow down and review first before you dip your toe into it. That makes perfect sense. I wanna talk a little bit about your contributions to Team Fox. You have been running as a coach for them. Could you talk to us a little bit about that and how that has approached your leadership style and teamwork and professional life in general? Yeah.
0: Oh, I'm. Thank you for bringing this up. Um, I, this is one of those things that, like, it sounds so cheesy, but it brings so much joy. It feels. Mm-hmm. It feels like, oh, I get to, I get to, you know, give someone some information. That's truly just for them to go do this crazy thing called running a marathon. And so, yeah, we've been working with them for, I want to say, almost 10 years now and love it. We've unfortunately had a lot of connections to Parkinson's and that's what spurred us working with them. Uh, Hopper running is my kind of like side hustle with, with with a girlfriend from college. We started way back in the day. And so I think one of the things that it helps me with is remembering to where you place emphasis. And this was really key during Amazon because Amazon, I always say, I'm like that New York Times article is is true, right? Like it is true what you hear. It is all encompassing and it's really hard to pinpoint why, but it was always nice to, to then take the time and to have calls with, with the runners to go to the events and see these people doing something that was so selfless like mm-hmm. raising all this money doing running because their family member or their good friend right had parkinsons so it really helped me remind, remember like work is not everything
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that there's other stuff going on and and people do these amazing amazing things for other people
1: right And I think that's encouraging to hear and see also, because I think for a lot of younger generation that are now growing up in a world where you have to succeed in any shape or form, and sometimes it's all about also what success looks like. I always like to ask this question, like, what is success to you? What does it mean to you? Because it's not always what you might think and how you get there is not always what you might think. So could you talk to us a little bit about that? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's another great point just to go back. Like, yeah. I mean,
0: cause even when I was running marathons, it was all about how fast could I run it? Yeah, <laughs> And these people are like, I just want to finish it. And I'm like, good. For-. I'm like, that, that's amazing. What <laughs> will get you there then. You know, like it's, it was really refreshing. So thank you for reminding me that. Oh, and then I love that question because, like, if you had asked me 20 years ago what success looked like, I would have been like, I am going to be a high-powered CMO. I will be the leader. I will do all these things. I will make all this money. And now, honestly, I I just want to be able to not work during the weekends. I want right. to be able to enjoy life with my family and friends. And honestly, since I've had the pleasure of managing some really amazing people the last few years— like, I want them to succeed. You mm-hmm. know, like, I always look at, Lululemon taught me this, and I've never forgotten it. And I think people kind of look at me like I'm like, cockeyed, like, why would you focus on this? I've always wanted to find my, my, the person who's going to take, take, take my role. Like, mm-hmm. who is my predecessor? Who am I leaving this to? Like, so that I can go off and either do a different job or expand my scope and go learn something else. Mm -hmm. And know that everything that we built is not going to fall apart because I'm not there, right? Like, who is the person who can do this? So I really love managing people. And I think success to me looks like my team doing really, really well. And like, they're getting, they're the ones leading the meetings. They're the ones getting the pats on the back, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, so it's sort of kind of come full circle where it's like, I don't necessarily care that much about me. I want them to shine because I'd much rather Like they can do the work on the weekends. No, I'm kidding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I love that. And and they do say that the, you know, the, what tells a great leader apart is one who leaves many leaders behind them, so to speak. So I I truly like that. It wasn't always like that.
0: It was definitely, (laughs) they did not necessarily want that mentality, but it's fostering foster now.
1: Great. Well, Megan, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about life and working in marketing, working at tech companies, working at startups that we haven't talked about today? Um, I think the one thing
0: that whenever I talk to, um, I go back to my grad school quite a bit and talk to undergrads and graduates uh, who are in my program. And I think the biggest thing I always say to them is like, have a have a plan. That's great, but like accept the left hand turns. You know, like take take the left hand turn, and it's okay to kind of start over after working seven years. You know, if you want to go learn something new, it's it's there's you're, it's always building, right? And it'll always help you. So I encourage people to like take risks, you know, change jobs, um, and really figure out like what's going to make you happy. Don't just sit there and you know, force yourself to do a job because that's what your teachers, your parents or someone, or you thought success looked like.
1: Right. And to end the note on the consumer side of things, what would you say to consumers out there today who might be hesitant to wearable technology, for instance, for various different reasons? How would you tell them that this might actually be something that could help you in your health journey.
0: Yeah, I thought you were going to go a different way with that question. Um, I'll, a- <laughs> I'll answer what I, I thought you were going to ask me in a minute. I, I, I would encourage them to do the research and to figure out, like, sort of how I ask, like, my team, okay, what do you really want to get out of this campaign? Like, you know, what do you want out of your health or, you know, why, why, would you, why are you even considering a wearable? And I would say that I think it's definitely an additive to your life. I don't think it's the end all and be all by any means. I think it provides extra data, another view into what's going on with you, right? Because like back in the day when I was taking yoga, I had this great teacher and she used to always say to us, she'd be like, get up in front of the mirror and then turn your head and look. She goes, "She goes because no one knows where their ass is in space, you know, <laughs> You 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 don't, right? And so- I I think the wearables and things like that, you know, just like getting a therapist, like all of this is helpful data and helpful ways for you to really understand what's going on and and then to ask the right questions, hopefully, to the right people. Brilliant. What I thought you were going to ask was Mm -hmm. what would I ask consumers just like in general about marketing? (laughs) I was going to say... Please don't turn off all privacy. Like let us serve you relevant ads. <laughs> relevant ads.
1: <laughs> right. Right. I love that. Yeah. Don't be, don't be afraid to share some data.
0: <laughs> well, some data, right? Like yeah. I, I want to make sure you see the right ad. I don't want to start serving you, you know, dog food ad that you right. know you're
1: like I'm <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time with us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. It's been wonderful speaking to you.